0: Astronomy Cast Episode 422: Geysers. Welcome to Astronomy Cast, our weekly facts based journey through the cosmos, where we help you understand not only what we know, but how we know what we know. My name is Fraser Cain. I'm the publisher of Universe Today, and with me is Dr. Pamela Gay, the director of CosmoQuest. Hey, Pamela, how you doing?
1: I'm doing well, Fraser. How are you doing?
0: Doing great. And I know we've been sort of saying this every week, but once again, another reminder: go to astronomycast.com/slash. Events and is that right? Or live? I just Events? just
1: go to our homepage. Yeah, Astronomy there'll be a cast. link there. Com. And find out how you can hang out with us. It says trips. The the actual link is like stupidly long. So just go to yeah, astronomycast.com. Yeah, astronomycast.
0: and then there's a link to the trip. Remember, we're going to be hanging out with the eclipse. We've already sold half our tickets. The rest are going to. We haven't even really cranked up the marketing efforts. The other half are going to go pretty quick. Uh, so so join us and watch the eclipse. This is this is crazy. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, and also, as I mentioned, the weekly space hangout, uh, Elon Musk, please don't break our hearts. That's all I have to say. So if you've been to Yellowstone national park, you've seen one of the most amazing features of the natural world. Uh, ge- yes, geysers. In today's episode, we're going to talk about geysers here on earth and where they might be in the solar system. And of course this topic was picked also because of the amazing discoveries made on the on Europa and uh, the new evidence so we'll be talking about that as well so let's talk about uh, geysers here have you been to Yellowstone have you seen geysers in your in in your life
1: I, I have back the summer between my junior year in high school and my senior year in high school when normal kids were going on college visits um we instead went on a tour of national parks because I already kind of knew where I wanted to go to college and um, among the many, many national parks we went to that summer, we went to Yellowstone and we saw Old Faithful and we saw a whole bunch of other boiling, bubbling, sulfury, gross, hot, will kill you things oozing up out of the ground because that's what you do at Yellowstone.
0: I have never, I've never seen a geyser in real life
1: you need to fix
0: this you need to take your children and fix this. <laughs> i'm working on my bucket list i just saw a rocket launch so so cut me some slack here <laughs> but uh um it's amazing and so yellowstone do you know how many they have like they have a bunch right they have old faithful and they have others
1: it, it's actually the highest concentration of geysers on the planet there there are actually very very few places on the planet earth that have geysers because the the required um, conditions there, there's It takes a lot to get a geyser so so the only places on the planet that we really see geysers are up in alaska we have them at yellowstone there's a place in chile out in the uh easternmost islandy area of russia iceland like all of iceland and then out in new zealand all of these places have a lot of volcanic activity and they're the only places just six places on the entire planet that have geysers um Yellowstone has the most; it has a couple dozen of them, um, but they do come and don't go with time. So, uh, geyser today, hole in the ground tomorrow.
0: Right, and the, so the key with with Yellowstone, of course, is that there is a supervolcano underneath, which is generating all this volcanic activity. And one of the interesting side effects of having a, a supervolcano that could utterly devastate. Uh, a goodly chunk of the continental United States is there some really pretty geysers.
1: <laughs> this is true, and and Old Faithful is the one that we know the most about. This is one that goes off roughly every sixty to ninety minutes uh, due to drought conditions. It seems to be taking longer and longer to re-explode, um, but. It, it only shoots stuff into the air anywhere between 100 and 200 feet, divide by three to get to meters. But there are others that blast steamy water significantly higher. Uh, there There is one called Steamboat, which its last eruption was in July 2013, as far as I know. Um, it seems to go off every five to 10 years. Um, and when it goes off, it goes off for about 10 minutes and geysers 300 feet. That's like 100 meters basically straight up. So
0: it takes years for it to yes, go off. Yes. Yes. It takes wow. that long
1: for it to build up the pressure, build up the pressure, build up the pressure, undergo massive phase change, explode steam into the air.
0: Uh, Oh, Okay, I was gonna try and show. Uh, I'm gonna show off a, a little bit of the of Old Faithful for the folks who are, who are watching the live stream. Which, by the way, if you want to watch us live, we do the show every Friday afternoon. So uh, I can play some audio. Well, it won't, it won't help for the for the podcast. So uh, that's just that's just amazing. Yeah, I, bucket list. I've got to go and see a a live geyser. Clearly, this is this is gonna be on my list of things to do. Uh, so, what is causing the geysers of Yellowstone, and then we can sort of go to some of the other places.
1: So, so geysers on the planet Earth, which is actually the only place that there are true geysers in the geological definition of what a geyser is. True geysers, you have an underground cavity of some sort that has extremely hot rock beneath it. This cavity with the hot rocks beneath is filling up with water as it fills up with water it's held under pressure in this cavity filling up with water filling up with water that water is heating up and and as anyone who's watched the stove knows it takes time for water to heat up so you have two things fl- happening water flowing in that water is getting heated by the hot stuff underneath now, because it's all held under pressure, it is able to actually get superheated. This means that it's able to get well above the boiling point, well above that point where it wants to be steam, before it finally manages to break free, get so hot that it explosively goes from water to steam, all of it, kind of all at once, and explodes through a fissure at the top of this cavity.
0: Right. And we can get those not only uh, in places like Yellowstone, but we can actually get those down at the bottom of the oceans as well, right? We get these really cool uh, underwater geysers.
1: Well, with the things that we see underwater isn't, so much geysers as we do have underwater volcanoes, uh, underwater fissures in the earth that allow magma to escape, lava to escape. Um, And in these places, water does actually get brought up to boiling, but it's the water at the bottom of the ocean, so it's a kind of weird situation. Um, And it's also held under pressure, so it's happening at different temperatures. Um, Most of the time, you just end up with smoke and gas and stuff coming out, and you end up with these underwater smokes. But... um, There was recently a case of a brand new island coming into existence and almost taking out a boat in the process where (laughs) there was an underground volcano. And these people in a yacht out cruising around were like, what is this weird stuff all over the surface of the ocean? And they, they go sailing over and they're like, there's pumice floating all over the ocean. What is going on? And then they notice the ocean is kind of bubbling and so they they go away quickly they back away from the pumice expanding across the sea and then all of a sudden kablooey new island is explosively formed lots of bubbling boiling new island (laughs) so we do have all sorts of the planet's alive the planet is alive but the only place where we do see this geyser experience which is separate from volcanic stuff The geyser is the heating of the water, the water explosively undergoing phase transition, coming out through the surface as steam, shooting into the air, emptying out the cavity, allowing the process to start over.
0: Now, we don't have any geysers here that I know of in in Canada, but here on the West Coast, we have a bunch of hot springs. So is it kind of the same process, but just more extreme
1: so so with hot springs it's it's not that you have this explosive phase transition going on springs happen everywhere springs are simply a place where you have water that seeps up from underground through the surface it's it's where an aquifer an underwater reservoir an underground stream like whatever form of underground water it is escapes onto the surface this is where rivers start springs start streams start Um, they're great sources of drinking water, and they come in hot and cold. The hot ones exist where, like you have there in Vancouver, uh, there's lots of local volcanism. And that volcanism is heating the rocks underground. And these heated rocks are then heating the water underground, and then the water is coming up through the surface. So it's, it's just a it's just a regular spring that happens to be near hot rocks.
0: Uh, so Yellowstone is the one place we talked about. Uh, where else can we see them? Iceland?
1: Iceland is kind of covered in geysers. It's, 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 this is what happens when you have a new section of land being kind of formed all the time. Uh, we also have these out in the southern area of Alaska, where there's, again, lots of active volcanoes. Then uh, if, if you go all the way east in Russia, out to the part of Russia that's just north of Japan, uh, there's a lot of active volcanoes there and also geysers. Then in Chile, where there's active volcanoes, there's a small area of Chile where there is also geysers. And then northern New Zealand has geysers. Again, all of these are tectonically, volcanically active parts of the planet
0: so uh so we've talked about what the geysers are on on earth now let's take this concept and start to explore the solar system with it so where else do we find geysers in the loosest sense of the term around the solar system
1: so so here's the thing we misuse the word geyser all the time it's just sort of like you might grab a tissue that is made by a company that isn't kleenex and you still call it a Kleenex because It is a rectangle of flimsy stuff that you can use when you have a cold or to clean your glasses, but it's not a Kleenex. So when we see stuff spewing out of the surface of a rocky body and that stuff happens to be water in nature, we call that a geyser even if it might not actually be a geyser. And we see not geyser places where volatiles like water are getting shot out the surface of the world kind of all over the outer solar system so so triton we noticed with the voyager missions um enceladus we were able to see these around saturn uh then europa was the big discovery this week but all of these things aren't Geysers. They, they they are sometimes called cryogeysers, which is a little bit closer to the truth. Cryovolcanoes is is the more if you start digging through what astro not astrophysicists, if you start digging through what geophysicists and planetary right. scientists want them to be called, those are better
0: terms. They're like cryovolcanic plumes.
1: Yes. Yes, they are.
0: Right. And so in this case because they're not getting heated by rock? Is that sort of...
1: Well, it's it's actually that lack of, of phase change that's going on. So, for instance, when, when we look at Enceladus or Europa, where we have, we think, uh, subsurface liquid water and subwater tidal heating of some sort, so hot rocks, we, we don't have a phase change to steam What we have is a cavity that is getting filled with melted water, and that melted water does get pressurized and then goes up through the the vent in the ice, whether it be a crack or whatever, and, and escapes as vapor but not as steam.
0: Well, so let's talk about what's going on then with uh, Enceladus and, and Europa. I, let's start with Enceladus just because I feel like the evidence is a lot clearer. And we've definitely seen this thanks to Cassini flying around and around and through the plumes. So what's what's happening over on Enceladus?
1: So so what I love is you're asking me something that, that the general answer is, I don't totally know, but it's awesome. Um, yeah. Sometimes that that's the answer you get in science. So what we see is this icy moon has dark stripy bands that uh, we have actually named well. They they have the awesome name of tiger stripes. And this may be like one of the very first times I've said something was named well in, in astronomy and space science.
0: As opposed to black holes, Big Bang. Yeah. First names, yeah
1: yeah so so the cassini mission uh, which is slowly working out through the last parts of its orbits um, early on uh, revealed that there are four dark tiger stripes and these appear to be some sort of a linear depression so it's not just a color difference there's actual like topography associated with these darker stripes they're about two to four kilometers wide about half a kilometer deep. So these are big structures. And there's evidence that these plumes of vapor, of volatiles that we see exploding away, being released with violence away from the surface of Enceladus, are coming out through these tiger stripes.
0: Right. And, you know, not truly geysers, but cryovolcanic plumes. Um you know, one of the really exciting things we'll talk about this with Europa as well is is that you know, with the discovery of these uh, you know that that these objects probably have some kind of ice shell with some kind of liquid ocean underneath, you know, then you're like, well, we want to explore those oceans, we want to see if there's life there because wherever we find life on Earth we find, you know, wherever we find water on Earth we find life. And so the analogy is like we should totally go, send a submarine down into these worlds and find out if there's any life down there. But Enceladus and now Europa have, have been spewing this material off into space that we can literally just fly a nose through and, and find out, you know, taste or, or a tongue. Taste the, the chemicals. Taste the organic material. Taste the soup. I, I is, think
1: rather than taste, it, it's better to say we're going to do mass spectroscopy on
0: these suckers. Or taste. Spacecraft version of tasting, but yes, I, I agree with you. Uh, so we've talked about we've talked about Enceladus. So let's let's talk about Europa, and, and first let's kind of roll this out a little bit. And because you know the big announcement this week, but there was actually some previous announcements and some some theories and some hints and speculations. So so give us a bit of a history on this discovery.
1: So one one of the things that I started out describing was with one of the things I started off describing was with. Uh, water geysers here on earth you have a cavity that fills up with water ends up under a lot of pressure kablooey's out through the top and this is a regular process sometimes where like old faithful every 60 to 90 minutes but then steamboat we're looking at every many years and so this is one of those processes that can take a long time now with europa Hubble Space Telescope had taken a good look at it several years ago and had seen hints that there was something off to the side, reflecting light. It it had been captured in infrared and, and there was this, is that geysers? Are we seeing? Yes, I know geysers is the wrong word. I'm the one that said that earlier. Um, there, there was this, is this a plume? Um and we wanted to believe it was a plume we want Europa to have liquid near the surface and we kept looking and kept looking and there's all sorts of stories with headlines like Europa's plumes disappear Europa's plumes unconfirmed were we seeing things and scientists are diligent we are capable of just sitting there waiting for the pot to boil waiting for the pot to boil, waiting for the pot to boil. And we don't know how many times it boiled when we left the room and then someone came along and added cold water. But eventually Hubble looked back again and once again was able to catch these plumes in the moment going off using Hubble Space Telescope.
0: Right. And so I guess the key here is that that it was caught, that, it, that it's not constantly going off like Old Faithful, there is a some time in between and then the event the geyser goes off but in this case the the cryovolcanic plume goes off and it happened to be seen by by Hubble
1: and and what's amazing is is looking at Europa you again see these cracks in the surface you again see these different colors in different parts there there is a chemistry to these worlds that is getting revealed in what's allowed to escape through the surface and And it seems to be that this is a fairly common phenomenon. Back when Voyager flew past Neptune and captured images of Triton, we got these beautiful images that seemed to demonstrate plumes that had settled back over 150 kilometers to the surface of this, this icy world orbiting Neptune. So here we've got plumes coming off of the moons of Saturn, of Jupiter, of Neptune. This is a common phenomenon that we're still struggling to understand. We don't have the ability to do all of the the testing we can do down here on Earth where we can actually start to, like, map out these chambers and follow the entire process. And we can't do that yet on these distant icy moons.
0: But But it's possible that, you know, that these kinds of under... Ice oceans exist across all of the icy bodies across the entire solar system. Not just Europa, not just Enceladus, the ones that are even having these gravitational interactions. It's possible they're on Pluto, Charon, Eris,
1: And this is, Sedna. Where, we get, this is where we get confused because we can understand how Europa is getting heating. It's, it's tidally locked with several of the other moons. It's getting regularly distorted. We can see the reflections of differences in rotation between the surface and subsurface in in the cracks. We understand Europa getting internally heated through tidal forces. We can get at how that would happen with Enceladus. But when you start looking at Pluto, mm-hmm. Pluto's a tiny world. It just doesn't have the levels of getting squished and released, squished and released that, that we thought were needed. Um, but you know the universe likes to prove us wrong by being right. far more interesting than our human minds could imagine. And so now we're trying to understand how it is that we appear to have a young, active surface on Pluto. And we don't know yet what all we're going to discover as we continue to dig through these brand new images that are still coming down from New Horizons.
0: Yeah, it was great. When we talked to some of the scientists in advance about what they were expecting to see at New Horizons, nobody expected to see what they saw on the surface of Pluto. They were not expecting to see this young surface. They, were, they would have expected something that was ancient, icy, but not necessarily with these, like, Mountains of water ice and 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 the but also the fresh, clean parts of the surface as well. This was a total surprise, and so I guess, you know, are are like the cryovulcanists and the geyserologists, the new cool kids, with all of this this stuff being discovered.
1: Well, I I think this is actually more along the lines of the planetary science equivalent of trying to understand magnetic fields. It's it's one of those complex modeling problems of how do you guess at what's happening at what level and what is driving what? And you have to make estimates of the amount of radioactive material that's providing heating and all these other different things to try and model the, well, it starts to become hydraulics. Mm-hmm. and And so here we have the hydraulics of icy moons is that new... Magnetic fields scary question of, well, how does magnetic fields affect that? Well, hi, how does hydraulics affect icy moons?
0: So let's talk a bit about what this means for the search for life. Uh, you know, if you talked to scientists 20 years ago and said, where should we be looking for life? Most of them would have said Mars. Yeah. And you talk to them now and they will all tell you Europa. Europa. So, you know, what do these geysers, you know, if, if they have, you know, if we can confirm these geysers, find their locations, figure out what's causing them, what does this tell us about the potential for life on, on Europa?
1: It, it tells us that there is a thermal gradient on Europa and it's a thermal gradient is that third thing that's required for life. You, you have to have nutrients, you have to have a solvent, and you have to have a thermal gradient. And, and we know the solvent is there because water. Um, we don't know yet if there's nutrients. But, you know, we keep finding organic molecules pretty much everywhere we look in, in our universe. Nebulas, other worlds, they're just about everywhere. So now it's the let's go flip this rock over and look to see what bugs live underneath it, except it's actually more like let's go dig down through five kilometers of ice and see what's beneath it. And there could be bugs. There could be jellyfish. There could be protozoa. There could be single-celled things that don't even have nuclei or mitochondria. There could be space whales, but that one I doubt.
0: Come Um, on, space whales.
1: (laughs) Well, I, I think space whales would require an atmosphere, so maybe mm. space sharks. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, has to live fully submerged. Yeah. Um, but but now we have this great unknown. We know that the thermal vents in the bottom of the Earth's oceans are rich with life, and so I mean it could be Enceladus, Europa, Mars—all completely dead, dead, dead. Nothing alive there. But it could be that we're going to find some alien version of what we found down in the Marianas Trench here on Earth. A completely new ecology that when you and I were kids, we were told totally could not exist because there's no sunlight. Now we know our books were wrong.
0: And this, so, is, this is why so we do science. I, I don't normally mash the, uh, the chat with the, uh, with the live show, with the, with the episode, because the people who are listening can't actually see the chat that happens during our live show. By the way, if you're listening to this, we do this live, and you can come and, and, and watch us and hang out with us. But Taktang just gave the name for what these must be called, Chrysers.
1: so i appreciate that yes
0: yeah so so tech that's fantastic i am going to make sure that all of our writers on universe today start using that term now we're going to make that stick so chrysers that, ha- that that's, is that's, a, that's far perfect. better
1: than cryo geysers which yeah, is cryo, the yeah exactly i like chrysers
0: um so so let's before we sort of wrap this up let's talk about missions to europa that can help us get to the bottom of this so Boy, sure would be handy if there was a mission arrive, that had recently arrived at Jupiter with the capability of viewing Europa a little better. Does this exist?
1: Well, so we have the Juno mission. Juno uh, wasn't exactly designed to explore Europa. In fact, it was kind of designed to stay the expletive away from Europa because we don't want to pollute Europa with our Earth germs.
0: Also attempt no landing there.
1: Right, exactly, exactly. Two thousand and one, Space Odyssey got that one completely right. <laughs> um, so, so we do have a spacecraft out there. Its mission is not, not, not. Can't say this enough. Its mission is not to explore Europa. Um, it its job is to explore the gravitational field, the magnetic field, the magnetosphere, the poles. All the cool parts of of Jupiter that we want to know more about. Um, So it's there to look at Jupiter. That's the name Juno. Um, So, hey, Congress, I'm looking at you. Um, Hey, European Union, I'm also looking at you. Um, Can we have money for science? Can can, (laughs) you, like, give us a spacecraft, please? There's lots of us that would want your spacecraft money.
0: But haven't... uh I mean, isn't there a mission to Europa in the works?
1: There, There is a mission in planning phase. It is not going to be one to land and explore. It is one to orbit. Um, so, yeah, there is there is a clipper in the plans. Um, they've announced all of the instruments for it. It's in the process of, of being built. We do have some serious technological hurdles to figure out before we can go land, like how do we do this without killing everything there with like the single celled version of smallpox? Yep. Um,
0: but that's a very dark analogy, but yes, we understand.
1: Yeah. So, so we, we also, when they awarded all the instruments for the Clipper that we're sending to Europa, um, we didn't know yet about these plumes and so I'm sure there's instruments that people would love to get the chance to go back and do a little bit of re-engineering on which will take a little bit of money um, to just take advantage of all of these new results we have from Hubble
0: Uh, it it should be called Chrysler and then have some kind of acronym that you know cryo volcanic volcanic, I don't know there's the rest of the acronym (laughs) but anyway yeah absolutely so so the point is that that Very fortunately, with these kinds of discoveries, Europa has become really the center of attention for both uh, NASA and ESA. And I think that we should see a lot more close-up pictures and and information on, on Europa shortly. And we'll get to the bottom of this and try and see how many there are, where they happen. I mean, we really need a spacecraft like Dawn that's gonna go into orbit around Europa, stay there and study it to the nth degree at high super high resolution. Like we just I'm t- I'm bored of these same Europa pictures that we keep having to look at. I need new ones.
1: There's they're they're kinda of stunning. So yeah, I, I get that boring, you're bored with it.
0: Bored. Come on, like the new of Pluto, <laughs> that was the greatest thing ever. And now and now I got I got Pluto pictures for years. So, so I need- So
1: we we will at least have a mass spectrometer. the The currently planned spacecraft has a plasma instrument for magnetic sounding. It has a magnetometer, which is named IceMag because, of course, it is. Which is going to do internal characterization of Europa. Uh, we have a mapping mapping imaging spectrometer which basically means you look at the surface with the kinds of cameras to let you go and there is CO2 here and there is H2O there Um, then there's of course an imager so we will get those shiny pretty images that you want. There's a radar there's a thermal emission imaging system which is a fancy way of saying we're going to be able to tell what the temperature variations are across the surface Um, there's an altered violet spectrum graph to just give us more information beyond what our eyes could see and we are even going to be catching dust to do a surface dust mass mass analyzer so it's a complicated mission it's going to do 45 flybys of europa at altitudes varying from 1700 miles to 16 miles and will not crash into the surface <laughs> but um we have That's- a
0: few years to go that sounds exciting. All right. Well, thank you very much, Pamela. We'll talk to you next week. My pleasure.
1: Thank you for listening to Astronomy Cast, a nonprofit resource provided by Astrosphere New Media Association, Fraser Kane, and Dr. Pamela Gay. You can find show notes and transcripts for every episode at astronomycast.com. You can email us at infoastronomycast.com,
0: tweet us at AstronomyCast, like us on Facebook, or circle us on Google+. We record our show live on YouTube
1: every Friday at 1.30 p.m. Pacific, 4.30 p.m. Eastern, or 20.30 GMT. If you missed the live event, you can always catch up over on CosmoQuest.org or on our YouTube page. Our music is provided by Travis Searle, and the show was edited by Susie Murph.